Well, hello, good afternoon. Thank you so much. My name is Susan. I'm the pastor of communications here. And I'm really grateful because I get to bring the word of God today. So thank you. Thank you, Pastor John. Thank you, Centerpoint. I love this church. I love to serve the Lord here with you. And I'm really happy to be here this weekend because if I wasn't standing right here right now, I would be at home unpacking my closet, and we just moved this week, so this is a break for me. I'm really thrilled. We just moved because my father moved in with us, and it's a wonderful new season in our lives, and some things needed to change so that we all could be comfortable together. Uh, My dad, his name is Jerry Marshall, and I call him Jerry Marshall because that's his name. And uh, I also call him Jerry Marshall because he is a unique man. I think he is the kindest person you'll ever meet. He is full of love and he marches to the beat of his own drum, which is good because he's a drummer. So he usually has one that he's marching to. And uh, I really do think that there's something so special about him. So I call him Jerry Marshall because of that. Let me give you an example. Uh, He moved up here from from San Diego. So he was in San Diego. He called me one day a couple years ago, and he said, hey, I'm going to come up and see you. Okay, cool, Dad. Thanks for the notice. Uh, He said, so I'll I'll just call you when I'm close. Good deal. So I get a call from him a couple hours later, and he said, so uh, I met this couple. I met Jack in a Box, and I met this couple, really nice people from Arizona, and they have a dog with them, and the dog can't stay in their hotel room this weekend, so I told them that it would be okay if you just kept their dog this weekend. <laughs> and I was like, what, wait, wait, uh, slow down, where are you? Well, I was at Jack in the Box, and who are these people? But season, it's George and Harriet, and they're from Arizona. And they have a wiener dog. You know wiener dogs. We used to have one. I said, I remember. He goes, well, their wiener dog is really old and blind and definitely almost dead. And and they couldn't leave their dog home. And so they brought that dog with them because their niece is getting married. And they found out they can't have their dog in the hotel room. They need help. So you can help them. I was like, well, dad, what? What if this is a con? I don't know these people. Would you bring them to my house and they're going to leave us this dog that's almost dead? And Dad, we have a new big giant puppy who's probably going to kill the half-dead wiener dog and then we're going to get sued because we don't know them and this is all a ploy to get to us. And I'm going there, right? And I said, well, where are you, Dad? And he goes, we're in your driveway. (laughs) Of course you are. Okay. So I leave here, I live close, uh, driving home, and I'm like, Lord Jesus, help me, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me to be kind and loving like my father, Jerry Marshall. So I, I pull in the driveway, and, and for some reason, I was like, okay, because they had a nicer car. It wasn't like, I don't know what I thought, but transparently, I was like, oh, well, they're, okay, maybe they're not crazy. And so I go in, and George and Harriet, sweet older couple from Arizona, they were out, they were indeed here for their niece's wedding, and the dog was just as old and just as blind as my dad expressed, and I thought, he's going to die, he's going to die here, our little large puppy is going to just run it to death, but they were grateful, and we didn't kill their dog. We had their dog for two nights, it was wonderful, they came and picked the dog up, and, and it was normal, it was fine, and my dad's like, see, it's fine. I said, how do you do that? How do you just, you're just so nice to everybody and you just want to help people. And he goes, Susan, I love people. 
and I want to help everyone. I wish I could help everybody. Now, I look like my dad in a lot of ways. I am my daughter, my father's daughter, for sure, except I don't really look like him in that way. I want to. We want to, right? We want to be able to say, I love everybody. I want to help everybody. But there's a little thing in our lives, and it's a problem. It's called sin and pride. And it likes to divide, and it likes to categorize and separate and alienate. So we're in week three of basic training. Basic training is a journey through the book of James, and this week we are in James chapter two, starting at verse one. So I'm gonna give you a second to go, either in your hard copy Bible or your digital version. Go to James chapter two, verse one. Now the book of James is a letter from Here's a shocker, James, the half-brother of Jesus. James, the half-brother of Jesus, is writing a letter to the 12 tribes of Israel scattered throughout the world. Now, what that really means is the Israelites, who used to live in Jerusalem, went to the ends of the earth after Jesus rose again and said, go, and they did. So he's writing a letter to the people all over the world to unite the believers in the love of Jesus and help them live out that love in their daily lives. And he's, he's straightforward. James doesn't pull any punches. Are you there? James chapter two, verse one. Okay, let's read. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Okay, so I just wanted to stop right there and point out that James calls Jesus, his half-brother, glorious many times throughout this letter. Now, that's kind of a big deal if you have siblings. You understand that. I don't. I'm an only child, and so I don't understand sibling culture. If you have siblings, you do understand sibling culture. I had a crash course when I met and married my husband. Uh, He had three children. There were three girls, six, eight, and ten, and I was shocked. So only children have this fantasy what it would be like to have a sibling And then you experience sibling, and you're all laughing because you have siblings, and you're like, oh, no. And I remember coming into this moment thinking, how could you say something like that to your sister? She's your sister. And y'all are going, because it's my sister. That's why I'm going to say something like that to my sister. So my fantasy of sibling life was shattered when I became a mom of three girls. Now, we know that James and the other siblings were not followers. They were not believers in Jesus during his life and ministry on earth. And they, you can only imagine what that was like, right? That he was the other brother, Jesus, right? Oh, did you hear what he said about himself again? Seriously, did you hear what he did the other day? The audacity. He thinks he's so perfect. He's mom's favorite, right? Right? But then there was the one day that everything changed. He did what he said he was gonna do. He died and rose again. And James, you, you know that moment was a little crazy where he was like, uh-oh, <laughs> oops. But the reality of Jesus being who he said he was was enough for his brother to take him from that other brother, the alienated one, the shunned one, and then turn and call him glorious Lord. I mean, if that isn't the case for the reality of Jesus Christ, I don't know what is. <laughs> When you're, imagine your sibling as the Messiah. It would be pretty crazy. Let's keep going. 
Back to verse one. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read scripture, it's very easy to say, oh, he's not talking to me. He's talking to them. I'm good. I don't do that. But in this moment, I think that if you'll be with me to to go into this section of scripture with an open heart and receive what the Lord is doing here, I, I think we can get it. I think we can make it about me and not about them, right? So what I want to do is I want to read the underlined portion, and I want to change the U's to the I's. Are you with me? Will you do that? Let's make it about ourselves in this moment. So we're just going to read the underlined port. Ready? Go. How can I claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if I favor some people over others? Good. Now that we are in a posture to receive, let's keep reading. In verse 2 through 4. It says, for example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, "Mm, you can stand over there, or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? I will be honest and say that I have read this portion of scripture, glossed over it and said, oh good, this doesn't apply to me. Check, I'm good. I've done that and it reminds me of like the 10 commandments when I used to read them and and think, thou shalt not place any other gods before me. And I'm like, oh, I don't have a little statue of something in my house that I bow down to, I'm good. But if we read a little further, and if we're open to the, to the leading of the Holy Spirit, then I think that there's way more to this than meets the eye, right? So, as we move on, the truth is, we don't really experience that kind of culture here, right? We don't really have that kind of extreme disparity. There is not a visible divide between rich and poor here at Centerpoint, or really a lot in this valley. And... When we are looking at what James is talking about specifically, there's a huge divide at that time between extreme rich and extreme poor, and they were gathering together to worship Jesus. And the extreme rich were very noticeable. They had the big turbans and the gold and the robes, and it kind of looked like a king. And those people owned the poor people. So there really was a completely different culture. And so when they did gather together, it was way more noticeable and people would sort of lean up against the rich people and shun those who were clearly poor. But if we're honest, no matter what the variations of economic stability that are in this room, compared to the global definition of poverty, none of us are there. So it's a little bit of a different situation. But I think that if we're open we can receive what the Lord is trying to tell us through this example. Most of us would probably easily say, I don't discriminate against rich and poor or favor one over the other, and you might totally be right, yeah. But I can tell you that if we're really honest with ourselves, if we're really honest in this moment, all of us can say that there are 
those people in our lives. And often we use that phrase, those people, or them, or theologically it's often called the other. And they can be anybody. It really can be. It can be based on color, based on political bend, based on economic status, based on life choices, based on church denomination, based on location, and even things that seem super trivial. <laughs> so uh, all three of my daughters went through middle school. They were all gonna be, they're all in high school or graduated now, and there's something that happened. I don't know what it is, but the moment each one of them stepped out of sixth grade and into seventh grade, it became the sixth graders. Those sixth grade. It was like they were the dregs of the earth. I, they would just talk about that. They're delinquents. The sixth graders are crazy this year. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but all of them went through it. And so when my oldest daughter was in eighth grade and our middle daughter was in sixth grade, she would say these things about the sixth graders are wild and they're so disrespectful. And I, I said, your sister's a sixth grader. She, well, she's an exception. She doesn't count. I'm like, okay, but there's something in us that wants to separate, divide, label, categorize. And I don't know exactly why, except that it's pride and sin. There's something in us that feels better when we label and we say, well, at least I'm not like them, right? And if you think to yourself, I don't do that. I love everybody. I don't discriminate against somebody. I don't have an other or them. Let me ask you to just consider, who would you not, most not like, your son or daughter to bring home and say, we're getting married? <laughs> who would you not want to move in next door to you? Who would you not want to sit next to on a plane for 12 hours? We all have it. It's in there. As much as we don't want to admit it, it's that sin and pride that act as blinders to us. Remember, James and Jesus, right? He understood this. He understood the separation and the blinders. He recognized that it was a heart issue, and so he wanted to address it. That due to the blinders of sin in our lives, we're unable to see the glory in other people. Remember, that's what he went through. He couldn't see the glory in his own brother. And that is my main idea here today, that we need to be motivated by mercy to see the glory in others. To be motivated by mercy to see the glory in others. So James and Jesus. Jesus was the other brother. He was the annoying one. He was the one they shunned. They didn't want to have anything to do with. And you can imagine, I was saying earlier that like, uh-oh moment when he found out he wasn't lying. He really is who he said he was. But I could only imagine the, 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 the turmoil that had to be going on inside when he finds out he wasn't lying. He's alive. He really is who he said he was. That moment of, well, of course, now he's still the perfect one. I can't do anything right, right? There was all this turmoil, pain, anger, bitterness, frustration, and curiosity. So something had to motivate him to go and find out for himself. Imagine, if you will, this is not written, but if you would go with me on this journey, that James is going with his family members to see him for himself. I gotta check this guy out. 
And he walks in and there's a crowded room and all kinds of hubbub and people around him except he knows his brother and he just sees him right there through the crowd. And Jesus and James lock eyes. Now Jesus could have been like, "Mm -mm, not you. Sorry, but you guys were nasty to me. You were a jerk. And now suddenly they're like, oh, Jesus, you're alive. (laughs) Except that's not what happened. In that moment, James comes, locks eyes with Jesus. And even though Jesus had every right to reject him, I can imagine in that moment, instead of that rejection, it was just, come here. Come here, James. And James ran forward and was embraced by the arms of mercy, by who was once the other brother is now his glorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's something that happened when he was met by mercy. All the pain and the bitterness and the anger and the frustration melted away, and he was embraced by glory. He was embraced by his glorious Lord. And that's what James is saying in this moment. He wants us, he's received that mercy from Jesus. He wants us to be motivated by mercy to see the glory in others. To see the glory in others. That's hard to do, to see the glory in others. And we all have that glorious thread running through us. We are all made in the image and likeness of God. Now, not all of us partner with that or lean into it. In fact, some of us do the opposite, to try to hide that or alter that image and likeness. When I was younger, uh, I had longer hair. My hair was never long, but like to here, and that was very deliberate because my mom used to tell me all the time, you'd look so cute with short hair, you should just chop it all off. And I have really like thin, fine hair, and so even though I wanted it to be long, it never really did it. It was just sort of like, you know, it was like not nice. And I did, I worked really hard to do something with it because it was thin and fine and stringy. And I just was not about to cut my hair because my mom had short hair and she wanted me to, so I was like, nope, not doing it. (laughs) Until that day that I got cast in a show and a director wanted me to cut my hair, I was like, cool, no problem, how short are we going? And, uh, and then I never went back because I realized she was right. It's so much better short. It's also super much better when you bleach it and it just stands up by itself. That's the trick. You're welcome. And so I, I realized that it was, it was rebellion. It was sin. I just, I didn't want to do what she wanted me to do. I didn't want to be who she, who she saw me as. And we do that. We often do that. We, we, we don't want to look the way the Lord wants us to look. And so in our rebellion and in our sin, we do the opposite. And no matter what we believe about ourselves or others, when the Father in heaven looks at his children, that's who he sees, his beloved children. No matter what you think, he looks at you and he says, look at my boy, he looks just like me. Look at my girl, she's got my heart. And he looks at who you consider as the other, and he goes, they look just like me. And the reality is, we are all somebody else's other. We are all somebody else's other. So when we don't deserve it, when we are doing everything we can 
to deliberately alter God's image and likeness in our lives, the Father in heaven still sees the glory in us. When we don't see it in ourselves, the Father in heaven still sees the glory in us. And when no matter how hard we try, we cannot see a thread of glory in someone else, the Father in heaven looks at them and says, that's my child. No matter what we see, God sees it. God sees it. God is motivated by mercy to see the glory in us, no matter what, no matter what. And he loves it when we are motivated by mercy to see the glory in others. It makes his papa heart proud. You want to try it? Okay. Look at your neighbor and say, I see the glory in you. Oh, yeah. Good job. Good job. I see the glory in you. It's good. So when we separate, we divide, we create space between us and other people, it is in direct opposition to what the Lord wants for his children. God is a God of unity and love. He wants a merciful God. He's a merciful God. And he wants us to look like him in that way too. Let's continue to read. In James chapter 2, 5 through 9, it says, Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law found in Scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. (laughs) Wow. He ain't playing up in here. He is not playing. James is using the situation of favoring the rich and the poor, but he's highlighting the real issue here. And the real issue is our projection and comparison of other people and their lives. I've been there. There have been moments where I'm like, oh, if I was just so rich and had piles of money, my life would be great, right? And I I look at rich people and I think, everything is wonderful. If I just rub up a little, maybe I would get some of that. But James is saying here, when you favor the rich people and you, you project onto them what their life is like, what he's really saying is, listen, more money, more problems, right? You don't know the truth. And he's saying, and the poor people, you think that, oh, we don't want any of that. But actually, James is flipping it on its head. Now, I've never been there, but all I've heard of people who visited those African villages that the people who are living in extreme poverty are so full of joy. It flips it on its head. It's the upside-down kingdom that Jesus talks about in the Beatitudes. We see it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. It says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Like, what? Well, we assume we know the problems of other people. We assume, oh, they must be miserable. Oh, they must be so happy. But Jesus flips it and he goes, yeah, but you don't really know. The poor people are actually those in need and willing to receive all that I have to give them. The rich, he's using that as comparison and saying, if you're rich, you can buy everything you need. You don't need a savior. 
And so the, he's, Jesus is saying, it's actually the poor who will inherit the kingdom because they're saying, Lord, give me, give me what I need. Give me everything I need. Provide it for me. And God goes, oh, but watch. Watch how much I'm going to give you. The whole kingdom. Flipping it on its head. We project on to others. We see the lack, but we don't know the whole story. The Lord is motivated by mercy to see the glory in others in every situation. So here's another example. Uh, my husband has a lot of tattoos on his body, lots of tattoos. And um, we were working in the yard one day. We were grubby and gross. It was super hot. It was a full day of work, and we looked like it. And uh, he needed to run to Walmart real quick. He's wearing a tank top, shorts, and flip-flops. And, and he ran to Walmart to go buy the things that you buy at Walmart. And he didn't change his clothes or anything because, you know, those people at Walmart, no one cares. And uh, we're all Walmart people here. So we go, and, you know, those people. Here it is. So he goes to Walmart. He's standing in line. And he can tell he's being eyed. Right? You can just feel it. <laughs> and there was this elderly woman standing next to him, just kind of side-eyeing him and just looking at him. And finally, she says, I hope you're brave. I hope you know where you're going. Hell. Okay, she didn't say hell. She didn't actually say hell, but she meant it. She did say, I hope you're brave. I hope you know where you're going. Now, he's used to being one of those people with tattoos, right? So he is overcome by the peace of the Lord, taming the tongue. And he says to her, Yes, I am brave. And yes, I do know exactly where, you're go where I'm going. And my tattoos will testify that because of the mercy and glory of Jesus, I'll be spending eternity in heaven with him. Yeah. To which she's dumbfounded, right? Like, <laughs> He said to me last night, babe, you should tell them what I really wanted to say. <laughs> yeah, I know where I'm going. You want to get there first? <laughs> Again, taming the tongue, power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for self-control. He loves Jesus. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. So, here's the deal. She assumed something about him because of her blinders. Because of the pride and sin in her life, she projected onto him. But if she was motivated by mercy to see the glory in him, she would have been blessed by his testimony of God's glory in his life. But those blinders of sin prohibit us from that. I would bet you money she did not think for one second she was motivated by evil. I would bet that she thought the opposite. You know, most of us don't set out to discriminate. Most of us aren't trying to be haters, right? Walking around doesn't hate people. No, I like people. I just don't like them. They smell. I, I literally put some deodorant on, right? Or I don't, they just, they're weird. I don't get along with those people. We don't have anything in common. But James is very, very clear in verse 4 when he says, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? It jumps to verse 9. We say, he says, but if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said, you must not commit adultery, also said, you must not murder. So if you murder someone, but do not commit adultery, you are guilty, and you have still broken the law. 
Yikes. Week one, Pastor John described James as grumpy. (laughs) You sometimes read this and you're like, ouch, goodness, sir, back off. But he's serious. He's not playing. It is strong language, but that's because James, he knew it firsthand. He knew that there was a danger in alienating and separating from the other and how much better it is when we receive the mercy to see the glory in others. James knew what he was talking about, and he wants us to live out that love of Jesus, that mercy of Jesus in our everyday lives. And if we're going to do that, we have to be honest. We have to be real. We gotta be motivated by mercy to see the glory in others. So he calls it like it is. It's pride. It's sin. And when we look at someone else and we think, Ugh, or at least I'm not like them, James says it clearly. We are sinning. We like to rank sin. We like to think, well, at least I didn't kill anybody. Uh, good for you. Yay. <laughs> but that separation, the label, the favoring one over the other, according to James, is the same dang thing. Whoo, that's a word of conviction for me. And I, I hope that you're healing, feeling the kindness of the Holy Spirit in this moment. It breaks God's heart when we alienate. <laughs> As a mom, I, I hated when my daughters would say nasty things to each other. I hated it. Now, I could see the child in the immaturity. I could see the sin. I get it. They're annoying. But when they would be unkind and ugly to each other, it would break my heart because it's still my child. It's my daughter. I can see the trajectory of maturity that's happening and the God's goodness in her life. Oh, it was worse when they shunned each other. I hated that, that like, ew, you're gross, and not talk to them. And that's the same thing. It breaks the Lord's heart when we choose to not see the glory of God in other people. I'm a musical theater person. I know it's shocking to all of you. I love musicals. I love all things musicals. My life is a musical. You should hear the soundtrack. It is wonderful. Could win a Tony Award. Thank you. You're a fan. So I truly love it. And everything in my life can be brought back to a musical. I'm not kidding. If any circumstance, I'm like, there's a song for that. Should I sing it and dance it for you right now? And uh, there's a song, I, as I was preparing for this sermon, I, I remembered this song from a very, very famous musical, it's classic musical theater called South Pacific. You may have heard of it. Came out in 1958, and at the time it was radical because it dealt with racism. And that was a big deal in 1958, and it was sung and danced on stage. It dealt with something very serious, and there is a song in this musical called You've Got to Be Carefully Taught. And it was, it was shocking. I'm going to read you the lyrics right now. I'm not going to sing it. It was a, a dude song. It was a guy song. Listen. You've got to be taught to hate and fear. You've got to be taught from year to year. It's got to be drummed in your dear little ear. You've got to be carefully taught. You've got to be taught to be afraid of people whose eyes are oddly made and people whose skin is a different shade. You've got to be carefully taught. 
You've got to be taught before it's too late, before you're six or seven or eight, to hate all the people your relatives hate. You've got to be carefully taught. It was shocking in 1958 to hear those words sung. You've got to be carefully taught to hate. And we think, I don't hate anybody. In fact, as Christians, we're taught to love people, love God and love people, love your neighbor as yourselves. That's what we're taught. But do you know who else is interested in teaching you something? The enemy. His goal is to teach us how to hate, to teach us to divide, to teach us to alienate, to teach us to look down and rank each other. You know what else his goal is? Is to teach us to believe that it's not hate. It's just preference. It goes on. James 2, 12 and 13. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. What's the law that sets you free? I don't know. I've glossed over that many times. I'm like, I don't know. And I leaned into it a little more, and the Lord said, it's Jesus. Jesus is the law that set you free. Jesus became sin on the cross. He poured out his love and his blood for you so that he stands as the law that declares you not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. The law that sets you free is the blood of Jesus and his arms stretched out wide between you and the Father in heaven. You were the other. But God, in his love and mercy, declares you under the new law. You are set free. I was scrolling through Facebook this week, and something popped up, and, I, and I, I noticed it. I don't know who posted this particular article. I don't know if I'm friends with that person, but the reason I saw it is because a friend of mine commented on it. And I was like, oh, what's that? And it was an article about a senator in California who's proposing a law to allow convicted felons to serve on a jury. Now, whatever you feel about that is neither here nor there, but the people in this Facebook post really didn't think that was a good idea because those people should not serve on a jury. And my friend commented and just said, I'm one of those people. And it was shocking for a lot of those people on, on the responses and they were like, oh, well, no, you're different because this person is a mighty person of God doing amazing things in the kingdom and many people didn't know that they were a convicted felon. And they said, all of them switched their story so fast and just said, oh, no, 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 you're an exception. But I'm here to tell us today, we have all been the other. We have all been separated from God because all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned and have sinned in our lives. And all of us are now the exception because of the blood of Jesus in our lives. All of us. Have you received the mercy of God? It feels really good. If you've received the mercy of God, glory hallelujah. But like it says here, if you've received it, you gotta give it. And 
I would ask that you would be open-hearted, malleable people who want to grow in our maturity and to look more like Jesus. And maybe that means we've got some repenting to do. Maybe that means in this moment we ask the Lord to show us who is the other in our lives. Who are those people that we have not shown mercy to? Would you, would you pray with me? God, we repent. We repent, God. For those of us who have received your mercy, your glorious, amazing, powerful mercy, we receive it, we say thank you, Lord, and we repent for not being motivated by that mercy to see your glory in other people. Thank you, Lord, that you see glory in us when you look at us despite the stuff surrounding us, despite our efforts to not look like you. We thank you that you still look at us and say, yes, that's my child. God, right now, we are open-hearted. We have open minds, open ears. Would you show us, highlight who they are in our lives? Who is the other? Who is the person that we have alienated or that we have ranked or that we have favored? Thank you, Lord. We trust you. And would you now show us, God, how you want us to love them? How you see yourself in them. Lord, would you show us, give us your eyes that see those people the way you see them. That we would see your glory bubbling up and out of them, God. That you would teach us how to pray for them. You would teach us how to talk to them. You would teach us how to be in community with them because they are yours. We're grateful, Lord, for the opportunity to repent. We're grateful for the opportunity to grow. And we ask for more, Lord. We want to look more and more like you, Jesus. We're so grateful for the mercy you've given us.